Today's podcast is brought to you by Camper Kings. Coronavirus has got us all thinking about UK holidays and what better way to do that than in a camper van. Have the adventure of a lifetime in one of Camper Kings' high-end luxury camper vans. Check them out on Instagram at camperkings underscore NW or on the website at www.camperkings.co.uk. Prices start from just £85 per night. So book now and quote Across the Park podcast for free insurance and a free bottle of champagne during the month of September. Welcome to Across the Park podcast, a football podcast on both Everton and Liverpool Football Club, produced by six mates, the three Reds, Gary, Phil and Terry, and the three Blues, myself, Milsey, Juji and Craig. Each Monday, we release our latest show. We will discuss the ongoing matters with both teams, whether it be good or bad, opposing views, opinions, banter and debate. We are proud to be a family-friendly football podcast and you can find more about us on our website, www.acrosstheparkpodcast.co.uk. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss a show on your preferred podcast listening app and make sure you give us a follow on our social media. Twitter is Across the Park PC, Instagram is Across the Park PC and Facebook search Across the Park. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hello, welcome to Across the Park, pre-season episode number two. Myself, Millsy, joined by fellow Evertonian Judgy, and Gary is representing the Reds this week. Um, plenty to talk about, despite it being pre-season. A lot, lot of rumours that are heating up, especially on the Everton side. Judgy, let's start with you straight away. The name that's not going away. Alan, at Napoli, you were on the show last week, and I was on with um, the Reds saying that the name that's always there, there's obviously got to be, you know, there's no smoke without fire. Now, this week, some credible journalists in Italy, um, Ciro Verentano um, and Gianluca Di Matteo, I think I've got those right, and now reporting that Alan has told Napoli to fend off any other bids that he wants to go to Everton, but the valuation isn't quite there. We're about five million apart. Should we just bite the bullet now and just agree to get that one over the line, do you think? I, I think so, yeah. I think, I think you've got to trust the judgment of, of Ancelotti in this case, and, and obviously I, I would suggest that the main reason why he wants to come to Everton is to is to reunite with Angelotti. Uh, you know, uh, without um, discrediting Everton as a club, you know, I, I think he's probably got a better reputation at the moment in world football than than Everton have. And, and obviously, he's got he's got, like you say, a, a relationship with with um, with the manager. So, yeah, I absolutely believe so. If that's the if he's the if he's the main target for Angelotti this summer in terms of filling that gap to a certain extent in midfield, I think five million in the current market is nothing. You know, in terms of making it happen, um, it, it's obviously been well publicised that Ancelotti and Brands have been told that we need to move some players on as well, and and I think that might be part of the stumbling block of even a small amount of being five million. Is that that's a player, isn't it? They're probably saying, look, if you can shift a player, we can we can make that happen. But yeah, you know, to answer your question simply, I think we have got to get it done. It's the you know the last ten games of the season, certainly after lockdown. That was the area of the pitch, which is glaringly obvious how weak we were, and and, and where we were missing some, you know, some quality operators and some players. You, you, you know, we can control the game, but also can can be effective off the ball. It was seriously weak in that department. So, yeah, five million, get it done. What what sort of player is he? He watch more football than me. Now, I've been scarred by your saying that these players who, who on paper coming as player of the year at Ajax, like Davy Classen. Are we looking mm. at a level above? Absolutely, yeah. Um, I, I do watch a, a lot of Italian footy. I mean, a lot of I watch, I watch a lot of footy. Full stop. The part of it, the the, the um, luxury of that being part of my job as well. But Alan is. Um, I think the red, the Reds, 
uh, the, the best comparison I can give to a player who's been in the Premier League and has been around and, and obviously had a good campaign at Liverpool as well as probably Javier Mascarano. Um, he, he's he's a lot like Mascarano in, in his, his physique. You know, he's only small, but he, can, he you know he covers a lot of ground. He's very combative. He'll pick up his fair share of yellow cards. Um, I'd probably say he's not quite as defensive as Mascarano, but he's a little bit more creative and offensive. So where Mascarano could probably play anywhere across the back four towards the end of his career, as well as any you know any of those central midfield positions. Allen is more of a an attacking third player. Um, although he can operate at left back as well, which I think is another appeal. You know, it's, it's the area of the pitch where we haven't got much cover at left back. Um, so I think he, he's a very versatile player, but more than anything else, he's got the athleticism which is made for the Premier League. You know, he he, he loves a tackle. He, he's he's very confident on the ball. Every, you know, he's always flying into fifty fifties. He's quick. Um, I mean, this one concern would be he's at that age in his career where that speed could quickly deteriorate. You know, he's entered into his 30s. So if you do lose a yard of pace in the Premier League, that can make a big difference. But for me, he, he's made for the Premier League. In the same article uh, that DiMatteo wrote and the Daily Mail have jumped on this today, we're recording on Tuesday, was that we've sort of agreed uh, personal terms with um, Diore at, at Watford. Decore. Decore, sorry, at Watford. Yeah, I'm sorry, we've never script here. Decore at Watford. Um for me, we chased him last summer and I think we were priced out and, and we were talking mm. 40, 50 million. Now, teams who go down are no longer desperate for money. So, is the price going to be that different? And, and if so, is he worth that? Because he, he's not never stood out for me. And I was reading more stats today. I refer to not want to go on stats, but he's not in the top 25 midfielder stats-wise for pass completion or tackles one either. So, is he someone that you'd, you'd like to see come in with, Alan? Or would you be looking at maybe spending the money elsewhere? Um. I, I don't know. I mean, to, to to refer to your first point of saying that, I, you know, of of us chasing them last season, there's two things to consider. One one of them being that one of them being that um, you know, to 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 another year into his contract. I think he's only got about eighteen months left now. Maybe, maybe that certainly less than two years. That that's a big factor to a team that will only have one year of parachute payments. Once those parachute payments run out, it might be two years actually, but once those pa- parachute payments run out or they start to deteriorate, that has a massive impact on clubs' finances. And I think he, he didn't play as many games for Watford last year, which which you suppose could be a concern for one reason or another. There was a few injuries knocking about, which we've experienced that with Gabam and we don't need that again. Um, but I, I think if I'm going to be trying to be positive about it as, as a potential target... He represents a lot of things that we haven't got at the moment in that midfield area, and that's you know it's physique, it's power. Um, he gets in the box and, and and gets on the ends of things. You know, I suppose a bit of a Fellaini-esque type player. He was so, you know, we we had a, a spell when Fellaini was playing for us where he, where he was so effective, um, and I, I think to a certain extent he's versatile as well. So you know, I I would I, I welcome more bodies into that area of the pitch. You know, if you're going to ask me, are the better players around? I'm sure there is, and I think my first comment when we were linked to them again before was, you know, Marcel Brands clearly working his magic of finding hidden gems there. <laughs> you know, probably one of the most like linked players across across the Premier League in terms of he, he's been seems like he's been touting himself for a move for the last 18 months. Where's this network of of, of scouts and you know that the Brands has been so famous for um, for having. When he was when he was at PSV, but yeah, um, it's, it's we've nice. Got, we've to... got a social media. We've got a social media question later on yeah, on Marcel Brands. Yeah, it's it's two parts of questions, so we can bring it into there. Um, just the second part of that question there, where I said, do you think they'd be coming in together, 
Or do you think it's a bit of a smokescreen at Everton sort of releasing that to, to put pressure on Napoli, do you think? Um, we, we need more than one midfielder. But at this moment in time, I, I would fully expect us to get the Allen deal done and then to move someone else in before we bring someone else, before we bring another midfielder in. I'd be surprised if we brought both of them in without getting rid of one of those midfield players, i.e. a Tom Davis. It was, it was rumoured, I think, last week that, that Newcastle were interested in Tom Davies. Um, I would I'd walk him there myself. I mean, I'd carry him on my back if I could. Um, so, yeah, I'd be surprised if I'd seen both of them come in without someone else leave. Um, and you, you might not be far wrong with, you know, us, us showing an interest in Decore to convince Napoli that he's not our only option, Alan. You mentioned they're moving players on. I don't think it's going to be very easy. And the Liverpool Echo said this week that when the players return to pre-season training, that Yannick Balassi, Mo Bezic and John Joe Kenny were all part of it. Now, previously in other summers, players who were cast aside have been cast aside straight away with the 23s and have been made available. Now, the Echo are saying that those players may, simply because we can't move them on in this mm-hmm. climate, may have a role to play next year. How would you feel about John Joe Kenny, Yannick Balassi and Mohamed Bezic playing roles next season for Everton? I mean the form, and I'm not. I wouldn't be too disappointed to see John Joe Kenny part of plans. Uh, you know, he's had a, he's had a good season on on loan at Schalke, albeit you know the club themselves deteriorated as the season went on. But he'll, he'll have gained a lot from last season, and and from the the times I've seen him, aside from post lockdown where he has a few mares, um, I think he'd have took a lot from the experience, and I, I wouldn't be too, too disappointed to see him in the mix. The other players in Balassi and Bezic, I think they've had they've had better days, and they didn't even have great days at Everton. So, um, <laughs> I, I've got, I, I would be disappointed to see them pass the folds. The, the, the type of players where I think if you know last season, um, or you know in previous seasons when we, we had a European campaign, you think, all right, well, mm-hmm. they're not bad fringe players to have in there and throw in against like you know Eastern European teams and those away games where you don't really want you know all of your first team players playing, but. We're not in that position at the moment, so um, I don't see the value. Well, obviously, I do see the value of them being there because if we can't get rid of them, we've got to try and use them in some way. Um, but it's disappointing, to say the least, to see Bezic and potentially Balassi, Balassi being part of the plans going into the season. And finally, before we do move away from the, the Everton rumours that have been out this week, um, it's rumoured that Arsenal have now won the battle to get Gabriel Magalhaes, TalkSport, the Daily Mail, French Football News, they're all reporting today that it's imminent that he's going to sign for Arsenal for £22 million. Uh, Reading between the lines, it looks like we, we had that one over the line and something's happened between February when he rumoured to have a medical at Fidge Farm and now when he's gone elsewhere. Uh, disappointing for me. Uh, left-footed centre-half with pace would allow us to play a high line for £22 million. I thought it was worth a gamble. Yeah, we're, we're gonna come. We are gonna come back to it later on that question, aren't we? And, and I think a lot of me response would centre around the question the listen, listener sent in. So I don't want to give too much away. Yeah, very, very disappointing. Um, Do you but, think he just watched us since February? <laughs> that, that's that's highly likely. <laughs> um, and, and and obviously he's watched us and watched Arsenal. If both of us are interested, there's, there's been two trajectories there, hasn't it? Yeah, um, but. Yeah, as I say, I think I think that we've got a question from a listener later. I'd like to give that full value, and we'll come back to that. Okay, uh, rumours at the red side of the park, Gary, um, surrounding <laughs> Thiago Alcantara, uh, the Bayern Munich midfielder who apparently has let his team know that he wants to sign for Liverpool. Um, it goes far as saying the Bayern Munich chief, Karl-Heinz Rummenigge, has confirmed... <laughs> <laughs> 
Ruminiga. Find what sounds a better judge. Find what sounds a better Ruminiga. <laughs> has basically said that, yeah, that they're, they're going to allow Thiago to leave. Um, Thiago has said that he wants to leave this summer, and all the rumours that, that follow that statement are that he wants to sign for Liverpool. However, the rumours from the red side of the, of the park are that Liverpool won't meet, won't meet the £30 million asking price. You've seen him in the Champions League this season. He looks a top player. Would you, would you stretch that? Does Klopp deserve a little bit of trust from the board and signing a 29-year-old, which goes against the FSG way of thinking prior, prior to... I think he probably deserves a bit more than a little bit of trust. You know, <laughs> look, look, look what he's done with us since he's come in. The, the squad he inherited to the squad he's got now. And, and you know, I know you love to buzz off it, but, you know, the, the net spend he's got in, in, in making that squad is, is not in short of remarkable. So, you know, I know at the moment that there are some some things to look at in terms of the, the financial fair play and, and how much money there is to spend, especially after, like, COVID and, and stuff like that. But... 30 million in this current market and even in the COVID market, 30 million for us as, as one of the biggest clubs in the world right now, it, it can't be that big of a deal for us to be able to do that. And not only that, we've got some dead wood there that we, we can probably make most of, if not more than that, back on. Henderson. You know, you're looking... Yeah, I said dead wood's not <laughs> the world's best player. <laughs> wow. No, well, every article says it, it's the FSG thing that that's stopping it. They don't see yeah, and, any and value in, in bringing someone in without a sell-on value. Yeah, and that's that's what has, has seemed to be the case with them when, when they have signed players. But at the same time, you're looking at probably what Harry Wilson's potentially going to leave. We don't know what the situation is with Jeannie Wijnaldum. You're talking like decent money for them, even though Wijnaldum's only got one year left. If he was to leave, by the way, I'm not saying that I want him to leave. I want Wijnaldum to stay one million percent. But... If the contract situation doesn't get sorted out and he and he wants to leave and he's looking elsewhere himself, you're, you're talking. You know, there's, there's a few other players. Shakiri, we don't know what's going on with him. He's he's led a, he's had a couple of interviews over the past couple of weeks, and you know, when, when that ends up happening, it, it seems to, it seems to look like that he's going to stay. But at the same time, if it, if a bid came in for him, I'm sure Klopp wouldn't wouldn't you know tell him he's got to stay and he'd give him the chance to leave. So there's there's definitely money to be made. By, by selling players, so thirty million for for a, a player of of Alcantara's quality is, you know, it's it's a no brainer in my in my mind. Like, could you see him in that Liverpool team working? A, a player of, of that quality, he, he walk into any team and, and work, wouldn't he? You know, he's, he's he's got that type of quality of him. It's it's hard it, when you're looking at our team. It's it's horrible to sort of look at it and think, right? He's going to displace him. He's going to displace him, and I, I want him to play in front of, like, say, Henderson, or I want him to play in front of Wijnaldum, because what they what these players have done over the past two years is is you know it's brilliant, and and it's it's hard to sort of see where you'd improve, but he is a quality player, and he he probably goes straight into the team and replace either one of them two players. I don't think he doesn't come in for Fabinho. I think he sort of nailed his place down, and, and with them being. You know, as good as he has been as that as that sort of holder for us, I think he does come in for either Henderson or Wijnaldum. And with with the issues that are going on at the moment, contract wise with Wijnaldum, you're probably looking at it being him. Um, I, I was just going to say, I, I think um, you were talking Millsy about the the FSG model and the FSG way and stuff. And to a certain extent, you, you as Liverpool fans have got to trust that as well, haven't you? Because that's brought you to, to a certain extent where you are now. Now, I'm not I'm not, I'm not saying that. They've done all the work and whatever. Michael Edwards and, and his, his collaboration with, with FSG and everything has, has brought you a lot of success commercially and, and a lot of success in the transfer market. The only thing I was going to say is that you are in a different position now 
you know, I hate to say it, but I don't have to. You know, he's a he's a champions of England, and and there's now an expectation, and and there's clubs who are going to be looking to try and, you know, come up with ways of of knocking news off your pitch. It's hard to then buy young players to to combat that. You do need to bring in experienced operators to to kind of maintain what you, the level you've got. Yeah, and not only that, if you're looking to improve the squad. You're not looking at anyone less than thirty million to be able to yeah. do that. And and if you know if Thiago is going to improve the squad and and, and first eleven, which he probably mm. will, then again it's a no-brainer. I know he's mm. I know he's twenty nine and he, he is getting on, but you, if you wait another year till he's till his contract's up, if if he was willing to do that for us, then he's another year older. Who's to say mm. he doesn't pick up a big injury in, the, in you know next season and, and you lose you lose a little bit of pace from him or you lose an extra year worth of his playing time. It's one if, you, of them. if you'd ask anyone the question, 30 million, but we're going to win the league again, he's worth 30 million, isn't he? Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. And, you know, I've seen, I've seen loads of different quotes from Bayern Munich fans all over Twitter saying, if, obviously they're going to the extreme, but they're saying if Liverpool sign Thiago and he stays fit, they don't lose a game next season. That's how highly they rate him. So, you know, it's, it's, it's one of them. I know I keep saying it, but 30 million for a, for a quality, quality player like that who, is definitely going to improve the squad and probably going to improve the first team. No-brainer. Do you think this could cause problems um, if Klopp isn't backed to get someone like that? Um, I don't know. It, you don't know what, what the way Klopp works. He's, he's always in the media talking about you've got to do it the right way. It's got to be done in so that both both sets of um, you know clubs are happy. He's, he's never sort of talked badly about his owners whoever he's been at he's never one to to certainly not publicly you know maybe behind closed doors he, he might have a few arguments with him but you know certainly not publicly you, you wouldn't see anything and I don't think he's the type of manager to just walk away if he was a bit upset over things you know he's 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 that type of character where he'd want to be here and do the job if not for anything else for the fans so yeah. You know, I don't think even if there was a bit of a rift behind closed doors, I don't think anybody'd find out about it until maybe he left. Uh, the other bits of news flying around from the, the Liverpool perspective is um, Nico Williams signed a new long-term contract with Liverpool Football Club. Now we had a podcast a few weeks back. And I think he played Brighton, and you and Phil were saying you were highly impressed by him. So to sign a new long-term deal with Liverpool, can it be good, good things? Yeah, and it's much deserved as well. He's he's done himself absolutely no arms in the games that he's played this season. And you know he looks he looks a very similar player to to how Trent plays. He, he's quite comfortable getting up and down the line. Quite comfortable defensively. You know he's got a good touch. I remember one of the first games he he um, he played for us. Can't remember the exact game. I remember speaking to my dad afterwards, and it was like every time whatever type of ball got played into him, he just killed it dead and was ready to go with his with a second touch. It was whether it was fast, whether it was shin height, chest height. Um, I, I, you know, fizzed right into him. He was ready with a second touch to to either play it or run with it. He was. He's just. He is a quality young player. Don't want to get too carried away. You know, that sounds like I'm describing one of the best right backs in the world here. But you know, you can only go off what you've seen and what, and what we've seen. I don't think you'll find any Liverpool player who's discouraged by him. I've I've got a little interesting uh, fan. Yeah, I've got a little interesting story about Nico Williams, and it wasn't um, until I've recently been away that I that I remembered. Um, He's actually, uh, well, him, him and his brother are like well into skateboarding and always have been since they were young. Like, you know, when I say skateboarding, like proper stunts, you know, dangerous stunts and all that. And like, 
jumping off things and all that and doing tricks all the time. And I remember he used, to, he used to bring all like videos in on his phone and show the lads what he'd done. This is when he was like 13, 14. And it, it got me thinking about like players like him and young players and, and the demands of academy players coming into a first team environment. And the biggest thing is overcoming that like fear factor of the fact you're going from being at, even at Melwood or being at Kirby to going to Melwood or going from Melwood, which is the biggest step, to going to Anfield and playing at Anfield. And the one thing you always should say about skateboarding, and, and people are probably thinking, where am I going with this? Is like, <laughs> That's you, what I'm you, thinking. <laughs> no, the one thing you used to always say about skateboarding is you can't have fear going into a trick. You've just got to go for it all out. And if you've got an ounce of fear or hesitation, you, you snookered. I was going to use, I was going to swear there. But he, he, that was what we always used to say. And it was like, I, I started thinking, is that something that, that's made a big difference to his transition? Because skateboarding, when it comes to certain tricks, it, you know, it might sound a bit dramatic, can be life or death. If you land on, you know, the wrong way or whatever, or you fall on your head or you fall down a big load of steps or something, you could seriously injure yourself. So comparing seriously injuring yourself to just having a bad touch and getting a bit of reaction off the crowd is actually nothing, is it? Do you know what I mean? So yeah. I, I think I, I actually think it's it's an interesting one. I'd say it's a story, but it's it's just an interesting thing to know about. And that he spent his old childhood doing what a lot of kids, I suppose, our generation younger did, jumping out of trees and all that. He'd done all that stuff. But part of the reason why I think it's helped him is that he's developed this kind of mentality that when you're going into an environment, you've got to fully commit yourself to something. Otherwise, and you, you can't have any fear. Otherwise, you, you're actually going to put yourself at risk. Yeah, that, that's probably the main thing from that is the mentality of it. If, if you're saying there, he's talking about you can't have any sort of, you know, an ounce of, of doubt going, and, yeah. Yeah, a doubt going into anything. If he's got that going into, you know, into the first team and, and playing at Anfield, if, if he's not doubting himself in any way, shape or form, then it, it's obviously only benefited them. And I think going into this Liverpool team, that's one of the main things you've heard it all through this season. Liverpool team being called mentality monsters. If he's already in that way of thinking, he's going to slot right in mentality-wise. Yeah. Gary, I doubt very much that when you heard this news that you got the house phone and rang your dad in shock. But last week, Jürgen Klopp and Trent Alexander-Arnold were the official Premier League manager and young players of the season. Surely you're not shocked by that. No, I don't think many people will be shocked by it. And to be fair to Trent, there's been an argument for him being player of the year, not just young player, because he has been that good this season. You know, the, the, you can't. Have, I think we've run out of ways to, to praise him this year, Liverpool fans, and, and certainly us on the podcast. We we've talked about him that highly, and he's he's just going on to new levels each year. You know, there's, that's why he's getting talked about as he could easily go into midfield and, and sort of pull the strings from there. And the, the, the passing, the awareness and the, the crossing, everything about his game, certainly going forward, is just exceptional. There's not really many faults, if there are any, that you can pick out. He, the, the, he's obviously... the, plays he beat, the plays he beat, Gary, sorry, I, was, I forgot to say this, the plays he beat Trent, this being Trent, is Marcus Rashford, Anthony Martial, Mason Mount and Christian Pulisic. Yeah, and, and it's 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 a good list of names. Obviously, I, I think the the Man United ones they they've only really come good towards the end of the year. So I don't think I think if they'd have wanted it, it'd have been a bit of a farce. You know, Mason Mason Mount started the year really well, but he, he sort of drifted off as well. Pulisic, I think he was injured for quite a big big part of it, wasn't he? And but yeah, he, even so, wouldn't have mattered who was on there for me. I think since being that good, he, he was that um, you know he was he was much needed in 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 and that. Can't think of the words. That essential to our, how we play yeah. and, and going forwards and, and the, the gameplay. 
that if anyone else would have beat him, certainly to the young player, would have been farcical in my eyes. He was the closest of this list to beating Jürgen Klopp then because he was competing with Chris Wilder, Brendan Rodgers and Frank Lampard. You'd have to say Chris Wilder, wouldn't you? Just because of yeah. what he's achieved on, you know, I wouldn't say shoestring budget because he, he was given money to spend, but, he, you know, the gap that he had to bridge and that every club has to bridge between the Championship and the Premier League and the lack of irresponsibility they've done it with during the summer. You know, they haven't done a Villa and went in blue. Villa spent about you know, they were probably yeah, one of the biggest spenders, money. weren't they, in the summer? Whereas, I think over the course of the season, I think the, the net spend was about 20-odd million for, for Sheffield United. And considering that before that, the, the record signing was about 7 million or something, it's ridiculous what he's done with that with that group of players. Yeah, for, for them to still be talked about as getting a European spot going into the last couple of weeks of the season, it's not short of remarkable for, for Sheffield United. You know, as Judge is saying there, the, the job he's done has been has been brilliant. And, you know, hopefully he can carry it on next year. It, it's always good to see teams like that coming in and, and working hard and, and getting results for it. Do, do you know what? The other thing, though, as well, you talk about, like, Nico Williams being brave. He, he, he completely come up with this mad formation and mad way of playing where the centre-backs were in the area every time they went forward. It was crazy. We were like, what are you doing? Like, the first time I watched them and everyone watched them, it's like a centre-back to, like, in the area competing for crosses. But that's you look at the amount of goals they got from crosses in open play, you know, it, it's credit to him that he's been, he's been extremely brave. That He could have been in for six or seven in, in three or four games by playing that way, but they haven't. They haven't took many big beatings. So, you know, on a number of levels, he hasn't just gone there and parked the bus every week. He's gone and been brave and, and they've competed, I think, with every team they've played. Yeah, so just just touching on Lampard there, he's he's obviously done a good job at Chelsea, and you know that that's why he's been in the list for like nominated for the award. But at the same time, the the group of players he's got, as long you know, as long as they're playing for you and you've and you've got a decent, you, you know, you you know what you're doing, you're gonna get results, aren't you? It's it's whether he can do it long term with with them mm-hmm. now. As as a young manager, he's still he's still quite inexperienced. It's only had this is only a second job, as and he's going into his second year with them. You know, it'd be interesting to see if he can, but he's made some good signings so far, and you know, they'll be one to watch next year, Chelsea. I, I think where Lampard was fortunate as well, he had a lot of players around him that he'd still played with that had respect for him as, as an ex player, and he has a lot of young players that have massive respect a up for to him. him. So, I think he you talk about players wanting to play for him, I think they did, and I think he was fortunate that he didn't ever have to show them the sides of him in the first season where, you know, he could be really nasty and whatever. He never really had that bad a run of results where he had to turn on them. And I think that's when the challenge comes, isn't it? When you and certainly yeah. you know I'm saying Gary he's, he's he's made some good signings and some big signings. But with those signings comes the problem of, you know, different egos, different personalities. Is he going to be able to handle them? He's gotta he's gotta start dropping some players that maybe used to play every week in you know last season. So I, th- I think you're right. I think he's he's got a new set of problems next season. Before Gary, we do move away from Jürgen Klopp. Um, we can't not touch upon his comments this week. Back home in Germany, he did confirm that he will leave Liverpool in four years' time. So it's it's a lifetime away in football. But he's put it out there that there's, there's not going to be another extension and he, he's going to have at least a one-year break. I said there it's a lifetime away. It is a long time away, but he's still good at hearing that. Oh, it's heartbreaking, yeah. I don't want the man to ever leave at the moment. Mm. No, that's when I heard it myself, I felt like that. You know that that famous clip of the kids when Shankly's when Shankly leaves and he's been told in the streets, "You messing, aren't you?" 
<laughs> it's one of them. I thought, you know, hopefully he'll he'll see the job he's doing sensational. He's gonna be gonna be a god leaving Liverpool. He might want to extend it by another few years and just give us that little bit of extra of the glory days because there's no guarantee that it carries on after he leaves. Yeah, true. Uh, music to my up. ears, that. <laughs> 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 I just go and get in a uh, get in a pause and wake up in four years. <laughs> Uh, we've got some social media questions which which Judge you alluded to before but I mean a good segue into that is on social media this week Bernardo Silva absolutely lost his mind I think he was he was getting some tweets from Liverpool fans who were obviously enjoying the fact that Man City went out uh, some of the things that he tweeted were um, you should go and read a book you should go and have a cup of tea or try and find a partner ouch yeah, um, I think what we should say this stems from the reason he's getting the abuse he's got is it stems from when they, they give the um, oh, what's it called the guard of honour when we when we played them and he just stood there drinking his drink didn't bother getting involved didn't just showed absolute no respect classless mm-hmm. and so you know it's come back to bite him on the back even further back from that as well he was obviously a big part of the Man City squad that we're all singing at Liverpool hadn't won anything yeah the exactly there's that as well yeah oh. and. You know, so he's 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 taken a little bit of abuse, and obviously it's got to him. And so nobody at the club has stopped him before he's been able to respond and and make himself look an absolute fool. So I've never you know, seen that. a tweet like that ever. Go and read the book, or go and get a partner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, his head's absolutely fell off, Anna, and it's it's glorious to see when it's when it's at people like that. But the thing is, as well, he, all he's doing now, and you've you've seen you have seen you know the impact it has on is as on stale, and that he gets so much abuse in the fans. The fact that the fans know it affects him, it it, it really it gives the it gives Made himself that a edge. bigger target. Exactly, and and now Bernardo Bernardo Silva's doing exactly the same. So then they've now got two players who clearly the Liverpool fans have got under their skin. I've seen one response that was absolutely demoralising for anyone who reads it. It said. Uh, can you blame him? It must be hard to be known as no, the other one. <laughs> yeah, the other one, yeah. Yeah, the other one, yeah. Oh, let, let's move on to social media. Judge, you, you did touch upon it before, uh, the Gabriel Magalas thing. We've we got a social media question and Let me get the, the guy's name right because I've, I've butchered the Bayern Munich manager's name and I've also called to call Ben. Oh, my, Carlin's Rummenigge. Carlin's Rummenigge is probably one of the best players to ever play football. And you got his name wrong. I'm <laughs> having a terrible time. Yes, Phil so Roberts stuff that. His name's John. So, so John, thanks for your, thanks for the email on, on the website, and and you've asked Judy to specifically answer this one. Uh, you said based on last summer, have we not learned from putting all our eggs in one basket? I.e. Kedzuma, we went into the last week of the window panicking, not knowing what to do because we only aggressively chased one centre half. Should lessons be learned in relation to that? I think it's a great point because we we, we begrudged that approach um, this time last year because we were left you know with with no no real backup and we were left scrambling for you know sixth choice Man United centre backs and and you know Rojo and still didn't even land them, um, yeah and and, and it, it it was regrettable last summer and and it's it's regrettable this summer as well. I, I think you know you'd asked me before how do we feel about the fact that Arsenal seems to have got it over the line? What do we think's happened between then and now? I don't think it matters. I think I think what we were what we were hoping, and, and I hate to be critical of of Marcel Brands because I'm sure there's a lot of things that go on behind the scenes that that he influences that we're not aware of. But for me, his main role in here was at the club was to bring in the right type of players, um, obviously to get some sell on value, but to, to get some to do our business behind closed doors, to do all the necessary research during the season, 
so that when the close season comes around, the, the business is done efficiently. We're, we're, we're targeting players that want to come to Everton that are interested in it. For me, part of his role there is is doing the research on the player, speaking to his agents, finding out if Everton is the place he wants to come before we even get near offering money for him. Yeah. Because once it's public, we've seen before him and we've seen it again, once it's public that a bid's been made, other clubs become alerted that you know, that player's available and, and it becomes a cue for any player who's got any type of profile and has got that ability. So I'm bitterly disappointed at the way it's been done. The fact that you know our business again has been done in public, and that we've been publicly it's been publicly shown that we were the first club to to show interest, and 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 that play has been then shown to to shun us. Um, it wasn't the same instance with Zuma, but it's the same thing. It's like a lack of foresight and research into the fact that last summer Chelsea had no intention of getting letting Zuma go, yet we waited and waited and waited and chased and chased and publicly hung around to only be embarrassed at the last minute. So, yeah, I, I think it is, it, it, it's poor. Um, like I said, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's embarrassing because th- there might be a number of factors that we're not aware of. But from a fan's perspective, and, and that's all we are, I, I'm just disappointed that we seem to have missed out on what seems to be our, our main target in, in that position once again. Well, to stick with social media, I'm basically on the same theme. You mentioned Marcel Brands there. We got another email in from uh, John. It's a different John this time. It's two questions, and the first one is quite lengthy. Um, so it's his opinion as part of this as well. So he's basically said, when are we going to start buying hungry players? Look at David Moyes. He always took his time, and he got the right attitude. Look at Lescott, Baines, Howard, Neville, Jagielka, Kale, all hungry to at least try and win things. Name any of our recent signings with, with a fingernail of that character. I can one Richarlison, and he's and that character will lead leads him out the exit door to win things. Don't tell me Bernard, Mina, Lossel, and Delft were hungry for success. Zuma and Gomez were loans out from their parent clubs, not wanted. It's time to forget what stats look like in black and white and go for the right attitude. So it's a great point. And, and again, I think it, if David Moyes was on this podcast, which you're always welcome, David, um, he was on this podcast and, and, and I've heard him speak about the, the way that his departments look to players. And a big part of the research was, you know, finding out a bit more about the mentality of those players. And unfortunately, he does have a lot of intel in the championship and in the lower divisions. Uh, there's, a, there's a couple of factors there that I'd like to recognise in, in Brands' favour, I suppose, is that the market in the championship now is not as... As um, you know, as um, what's the word? It's certainly not as cheap as it was. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not as easy to get a bargain in the championship anymore, or even in League One. Most most players who, you know, derive from this country, the profile of, of the likes of of Jagielka and Baines and, and and the others that were mentioned there, you know, you're talking twenty, thirty million for them now. You know, Liverpool know that from experience themselves. They're looking at players from Bournemouth or or players in the championship, and they're getting close to twenty million just as a starting point. So, I think that's a factor. I think there's more value at times to be had from abroad. But, you know, yeah, it's a good point. I think what Marcel Brands is trying to do, and again, I'm only speculating here, is to try and get that level of desire and hunger from the players in our academy instead, which you'd like to think is possible. Um, going, back, going back to him, I think Chris Wilder and Sheffield United have done a decent job at, at recruiting players of that type of character and attitude and they've shown that you can get value but I want to temper that with saying that Sheffield United have only been able to do that because they were shopping when they were a championship side yeah, yeah. and the clubs around them knew that they didn't have the, the multi-million pound budget so I think it's it's a certain degree it's, it's an aspirational um, 
opinion and an aspir you know an aspirational world that we're going to have four or five players that we're going to be able to bring in. They're going to have the hunger and, and desire to go and win trophies and, and you know going to have that mentality that players gone by have had before. But you know, make no mistake about it. I still I still think it's it's possible, but it's a lot more of a difficult task in in this this day and age. And his second question is, is again in relation to Marcel Brands. He said, this is Brands' second year. He's only got one year left. If he gets it wrong this summer, is he done? Yeah, no question about it. I don't think uh, the owner, the owner's shown with the managers. He's not afraid to, to, to mix it up. He's, he's put a lot of faith in Marcel Brands. There's no doubt about that. You know, the quotes from Brands himself have said that. Mashiri is, as I think, pretty much stepped completely into the background since Brands has been here. He's been the main PR focal point for the club, and I thought that was a positive move, and I thought it was a brave move from Mashiri and a humble move. Um, so you know, I, I would really fight back against anyone who, who was going to criticise Farad Mashiri since he's been there. But you've got to criticise, and you've you've got to be looking at Marcel Brands if we don't get the right mix and blend with our next few signings. And also, if he's not if he's not willing to get, he's not capable of getting rid of some of them players because that's that some of the dead woods we've got there. That that's part of the job as well. Part, part of that job the reason I'm saying that is you know he's, he's sent the likes of Balassi and Bezic out on loan but he hasn't managed to sell them why, why, why is there not why was the terms not put in there to make sure that those clubs had to sign them at the end of it you know he shouldn't be sending Balassi's gone out to Sport and Lisbon I can't remember the last time Sport and Lisbon spent more than 10 million on a player you know how are we expecting Sport and Lisbon to take on Balassi's wages these short term deals all they've done is slowly is kind of is, is just papered over some cracks in our finances for one year. People, you know, proper directors of football, I mean, I'm looking across the park at Michael Edwards. You look at the way he's managed to move some of their players on and the way he's done it, and he's tied them into deals where you're thinking, oh, have they paid that much for them? That, that's, that's, that's what we should be looking at, and that's what we should be expecting. Jordan Ibe and Solanke for £35 million. I mean, look, they've got they've got youth on the side as well, which which is obviously a benefit when you when you are trying to shift players. But yeah, it's spot on, and they're really two really good examples. But yeah, I I, I can't say I disagree with, with any of those sentiments from him. I, I'm I'm disappointed with what's happened and the business we've done since since he's been around. He has had a bit of luck. I've got a bit of bad luck. Sorry, I'll have to say that. The Gabarman one is bad luck. I even think the Delf one is a bit of bad luck. Although, albeit we may because of recognise that lack of um, hunger for, to go again but he was saying all the right things Delph wasn't he and even the noises coming out of Man City where that he was a model pro and, and, and I can't say for a minute I knew anything about Delph other than the fact that he seemed like a, a top pro but you know that, mm-hmm. that's, that hasn't worked out for him and even the Yeri Mina one I mean it, he, he has a, you know, has a great performance in the World Cup um, he, you know, he, he played for Barcelona. We've got him for, 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 for decent money, but he's had a lot of injuries since he's come in as well. So there has been a, a degree of bad luck in there as well. But, to, you know, to not beat around the bush, I think he's spot on. I think if, if we don't get it right this, this summer, then he, he'll be departing next year. Judgy, I think, I think also as well, to be fair, Judgy is if, if we don't start well or we don't get it right, who's going first, Brands or Angelotti? It depends which way you look at it. Uh, I mean, um, who's going first by choice, or who, who are we going to get rid of? No, us as fans, we're going to blame one person. It's not going to be Carlo Angelotti. No, yeah, without a doubt, it's going to be Brands. I thought you were asking me that as a genuine question, but it was a hypothetical, well, not a hypothetical yeah. one. It was, um, you know, you already knew the answer to that. Yeah, and, and, and rightfully so. 
I mean, we, we spent too long blaming the managers, and I think there's enough spotlight on brands from most of the fans now and on our business in the transfer window that if we don't get the right targets in the summer, I think Carl will be standing there almost in the stands with the fans going, what, what are we meant to do here? Mm. So, it, you know, you just you really are hoping that he gets in, you know, three... If he gets in three players, I'd have to say this, and, and people might say I'm wrong here because most people are saying we need five or six, which I can't disagree with. But if he gets his top three targets, i.e. gets a centre-back of a decent profile, you know, what he wants. If he gets Allen in... And if he gets a winger slash forward or whatever, I don't think he can he can hide Angelotti. And I'm saying that now because they're, they're three positions that if we improved in those three positions and we kept all the players around them, he should be producing something out of that out of that team, out of that eleven. If there are no more significant injuries, if the like of likes of Gabamon come back, if you know Yeni Mina can stay fit, I, I think he's still got to be to a certain degree accountable if he can get three top names in. Oh, fair enough. Uh, we've got a great tweet in from Sean Mack on Twitter. Bit of a fun one. It involves the Reds and the Blues. He's basically asked us to to pick our worst eleven combined Liverpool and Everton flops, but they have to have done all right at other clubs. So he's given some examples. So yeah, he's given Pellegrino, Konchesky, Joe Cole, Ginola, Gascoigne, Balotelli, and Poulsen. Judgy, for me, he's missing Davy Classen and Sanzo straight off the bat. Yeah, he is, yeah. We start starting the sticks and we have a, we've had the luxury of having a bit of time to think about this, but but as listeners, if you are listening to it, you can pause the episode, have a little chat with your mates and then and come back to listening to what we, we have to say. But my first thought in between the sticks was Richard Wright. I was so happy when we signed him and I thought, wow, we finally got a, a Neville Southall replacement. He's young, he's hungry, he's, he's an international. He, he looks like he's got everything about him. And uh, the next thing you knew, I was I seen him in the chippy about eight years later, and and he was like saying, "I'm going to retire from football because I've lost the will to play the game." <laughs> he was he had a shocker, didn't he, Richard Wright? Yeah, he was terrible. He came in on the back of us having terrible goalkeepers prior to him for years. Yeah. We lost South Ball, yeah. like Steve Simmons and Paul Gerrard. Thomas Meyer was never the same after breaking his leg, and we were just desperate for someone to come in and have commanders area, and he, he couldn't even do that. No. And Nigel, Nigel, Nigel Martin, Martin came in, yeah, and showing him how it was done, even exactly, though he was about yeah. twenty years older than him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, he ends up being well. He ends up after after Everton, basically becoming a goalkeeper coach at Man City, even though he was a player. He was like fifth choice goalie, but he would just be there all the time. I don't think he ever even got on the bench for Man City. He was just like a goalie coach, but he was in the squad. That that says a lot about where he belonged, really. Gary, some of the names there from the red side. He's mentioned Joe Cole. He's mentioned Morientes, Balotelli, Poulsen, Konchesky. Do you know what? I've just I've, what I've done. I've just made a note of players that came to my mind who, who were thought they were decent elsewhere. I've, I had Poulsen down. Anthony Latala. I think we discussed that before we started the show. Iago Aspas, who's been an absolute goal machine at Celta Vigo since he's left <laughs> Liverpool. Morientes, what a player he, he was in his career. Came to us and just flopped. Aquilani, who. John Arnaurice was playing with him at the time at Roma, said he, he's Jabby Alonso-esque. I don't know what he meant by that, because he certainly weren't Jabby Alonso-esque. Mm-hmm. Um, Andy Carroll came from Newcastle as, as you know, as a, as a decent, you know, people were expecting him to go places. Jesus Christ. I was just going to say, the best thing he's done for us was to go in the semis against you. <laughs> that that, that <laughs> would have been enough for me, it was the other way around. Yeah, a big one. Was for me Nori Sahin. 
You know, he, oh, yeah. he came. He he has he'd been player of the year in the in the Bundesliga and and everything that for Dortmund and he had a year out I think at Madrid, but then came to Liverpool and just I think we only had him for a few months and then he ends up we we cut the loan short and he went to I think he went back to Dortmund if I'm right in saying um, so yeah Sahin was a, was a big one. Elad Juf, big prospect from the World Cup. Crap. <laughs> he, he, he didn't uh, he didn't help by. By getting off on the wrong foot with the locals either, did he? Well, no, that's it. He didn't help but on the pitch. Didn't help him either because he was no yeah. good player. Him, Barini, Markovic, Downing, Benteke, just Charlie Adam. Charlie Adam. He, he, I don't think we expected too much from Adam. Like, but yeah, he had a he had a good time at Blackpool, but yeah. didn't seem to. He, he forgot how to take a corner when he came to Liverpool. Touted as just one of the best corner takers <laughs> the league seen, and just forgot how to do it. Merseyside is the place where corner takers come to die, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is, yeah. But, uh, what, what, one person he did put in there, and, and, and I can't agree, he put Paul Gascoigne in there. Yeah, now, I said that. Paul, yeah. Paul Gascoigne didn't have the best time in the blue shirt, but I think he always, when he was on the pitch, he always gave us all, and, and he wasn't what he was, but I, I can't agree, so and I can't put Gaz that, in there. That might just be because of the player he was. Yeah, well, I, 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 I remember. I, see, yeah. I, I remember. I remember Leicester away. Um, Leicester had had a good start to the season. I think they'd like won the first four games or something, and they were top of the league. We went there on a Sunday. It was Filbert Street. Yeah, obviously they're they're old grounds. He was and brilliant, wasn't he? Gascoigne broke a record for the most number of tackles in a game, yeah. and he was like thirty six at the time. He absolutely he was man of the match, and he ran the show. But yeah. in a different way, it wasn't the Gascoigne. He was on the ball all the time. He just he, he just literally tackles everything that moves, and you're like. A player of that age, he was clearly having a lot of personal problems as well. To hit the heights he did, it was ridiculous. I remember the goal he scored at Bolton, which was the only goal he scored for us. Brilliant goal, but yeah, I agree with you, Mills. I, even though we we ne- we never seen anywhere near the best of him, the glimpses that we seen of him and the and the the, the um, you know the the attitude and the application he put in while he was there, you couldn't really knock it. But our list is pretty lengthy as well, isn't it? You know, Earl <laughs> Barrett. For, for me, he was one of the highest ones. Like I think you said, Mills, before the show, Ryan Giggs said before we signed him that he's the best fullback he's ever played against. Probably the, one of the worst players I've ever seen kick a ball <laughs> at, at Goodison. Or if he, he hardly kicked a ball. He could get up and... He was a lot like um, Martino, weren't he? Cujo Martina. In that he could get up and down the pitch, but he'd give him the ball, it'd bounce off him. He was the cl- one of the clumsiest players. He couldn't take a throw in. It was weird. Terrible like Phil player. Roberts, that. <laughs> yeah, Phil wouldn't know. Take a throw in something he's ever played an eleven side game. Do, do you know one yeah, player who, who, I, who I didn't know was good, but he, he came and I'm talking black and white stats again. He came from being a you know, player of the year in Russia and scoring goals. Who man he asked when we signed him? I thought there's got to be something about him. CSK <laughs> Moscow was terrible. Billy Letinov, another player. I think Murray's actually broke our transfer record to sign him. He was yeah. atrocious. I mean, you talk about corner takers. He could actually take a good corner. I think the first thing he done when he uh, he, he made his debut Goodison was take a corner you're like wow what a corner that was Andy yeah. Inchlick stuff yeah. but that was the that was the that was about as, as much as he scored a goal against United didn't he, uh, he had goal, a decent, goal, decent, yeah. decent shot on him but you mentioned them before Alex Anderson Jesper Blomqvist yeah. going further back Keane. Klaus Thompson oh my I mean say that Klaus Thompson didn't have a reputation but he like you know touted in, in, in Scandinavia as being a big thing I think he was actually an international when he came to us as well but Jesus the, the Danes must have had some bad players at that time um, yeah. no it, it, we, we, we could go all day I think with some of the players we come up with 
you know, on, on our side. But we could, we could have two. We could have two teams, couldn't we? Just, just in blue. We, could two, we could have two teams and about five managers. <laughs> the few managers who come to us with a good reputation who got worse. Alcaraz, think, Alcaraz think, came oh. with a decent reputation. Wigan, how bad was he? And that, that's a recent one. I think our, our worst team would still beat your worst team, though. Yeah. I'd have, no, I'd have no, there'd be no doubt about that for me. No doubt whatsoever. Sean, um, that, was, that was a great, great question on Twitter. I can tell you're read by your profile picture, but. Any question that gets Gary talking about how bad Liverpool were or used to I be? I think it's Teddy. I think I think it's Teddy's cousin. You know, Sean McGibbon. I think it's Teddy's cousin. Yeah, obviously the name gives it away, but pretty sure that's Teddy's cousin. But no, yeah, great question, and I, I'm one. I'm sure that most players, most people, will be reeling off players all night. I think if you're Nevertonian, you could think of more bad players that have played for us in the last 20 years than good ones. That's for sure. I think people will be going to get the whiskey out. Yeah, just to, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and, and the final social media question was, was, was picked from is another one on a website from Mark. Um, again, to all three of us, who would you most like to do an across the park extra with? Should you start with you? You spoke about him then, but for me, Paul Gascoigne. Um, not for not particularly for his time at Everton, although every across the park extra we've done with anyone who was around at the time with Paul Gascoigne has uh, spoke about him and, and spoke about the different stories and whatever. Um, I was going to say Duncan Ferguson, obviously, because it's it's a natural one. But I'm going to throw another one in there because I've just never really, you know, heard many things that he's done, and and I would pay good money to see him myself and listen to him. Tommy Gravison, yeah, what a funny, what a funny guy he'd be. And and I, I mean, we're obviously talking about players that we've watched in our generation. Anyone who's who's older than you know forty will be talking about players in the eighties, and rightfully so. But you know, in in the area that we watch, I think they they in the area that we era that we that we've uh, witnessed. I think they'd be the ones that be most interesting and ones. You've like been lucky enough to actually do one with with some some of your fans here, or in Colin Harvey, haven't you? Yeah, and also Kevin Ratcliffe, obviously the most successful captain in our in our history. So I think anyone older than us would say that the Kev would be one of those players. Neville Southall, obviously another one that, that most. Most um, Evertonians would want to sit down and speak with, and, and we've had that that luxury as well. But well, you have. I, I was actually wasn't there, but um, yeah, for me it'd be it'd be Duncan or, or Gaza, closely followed by by Tommy Garrison. Mills. Um, I I definitely go with Duncan because um, because he was my hero growing up. But I think we've been to a night, haven't we, to see Duncan and, and we've sort yeah. of heard the stories on the stage and even though how good he is, um, I think for me the most interesting one would either be David Moyes or Bill Kenwright. I think there's so much meat on the bones with, with their, their Everton careers. I think David Moyes, even in his infancy as the Everton manager, there was so much hype around about what he was trying to do. Mm. Uh, you could do a podcast just on that, how, how, sure. how he turned how he turned something which Tony Bellew said in our podcast was dead, lifeless, mm. and turned it to something with a heartbeat, something that was going. And Bill Kenwright's been up and down. He's had battles with board members, supporters groups. You know, he's yeah. criticised for not selling the club earlier than he, than he did. He's got the Wayne, the Wayne Rooney, the Nick Barnby, you know, the Walter Smith, I think, to sit down with either of David Moyes or Bill Kenwright would, would be an absolutely brilliant podcast. Gary, from, from a red point of view... Yeah, I think it, for me it's it's one of two. Um, I think the the best player I've ever seen for us long and and as a long spell as well. I think a lot of Reds that will be the same. Be Stephen Gerrard. 
at you know the, the things he's done for the club and and the, the loyalty shows and, and the things he went through and certainly obviously you you should love to to hear about how heartbreaking it was for him in 14 but all the highs that he had at the club as well Istanbul and all, all the different things he's been through with the club and and all the different managers the different players he's seen everything it just be it's all it's all my era that, that I've seen and it'd just be remarkable um the second one I think Roy Hodgson <laughs> <laughs> no, only messing. Obviously, um, it'd have to be, it'd have to be Jurgen Klopp, just because the man, the man is now gonna when he does leave Liverpool, as you said before, Mills in, in four years' time, she's gonna leave him aside, and he with, with what he's done for us in, in the last few years, and hopefully what he will do in the next in the next four. So, yeah, to be able to sit down with with, with the main man himself, Jurgen Klopp, would be would be absolutely tremendous. Fair play. Mills, <laughs> Mills have one of them. Mills have one of them Zoom moments. There, anyone who's been on Zoom recently will know where he, the screen just freezes in a in a very embarrassing uh, position. Oh, he's back. Here we go. Still there, Mills? Okay, but I, I think that I think that just about concludes our episode for this week. Anyway, so it's fortunate that we lost our host towards the end. Um, and he's now sh- and he's now shouting down to the missus to turn Netflix off. I think. <laughs> oh, this is going to be left in. Uh, it's definitely going to be, be left, left in. in. <laughs> it's definitely going to be left in this. Oh. yeah, she turned Mills, it off. Mills. You shouting, you shouting at the missus is getting left in this podcast. <laughs> oh, can I just turn the telly on? It's on the IPTV, isn't it? So all the internet went off. Oh, superb. Where was it up to? Yeah, that, that's it, Mills. I think we we come to the end. Gary had just spoke about Klopp and uh, and Gerard being his um, the ones he'd most want to record a podcast with. Unless you've got anything else for us? No, no. I mean, the last subject really was it was leaked yesterday by some travel supporters clubs in relation to Everton. Gary, we get your thoughts on this as well. That that they were made aware by Everton that from October the fifth, Everton were looking at seven thousand fans to attend home games. Now, the Liverpool Echo didn't deny this today. They, they said that there's some truth in that, but it's not finalised. It's waiting on government advice. And the Everton, um, sorry, the shareholders as well, have got a Twitter, I think, or the, or the fan group. Mm. I've got a Twitter, and they've came out and basically said, similar to the Echo, um, that they're not denying it. It's not set in stone. Sorry, it's, it's the Everton Fans Forum. I, I apologise on Twitter. They've spoke to the club. Um, it's not set in stone. But that's 7,000. That sounds about right to me. That's That's what... 20% of capacity, which is what we've been hearing. There's rumours of no away fans, so you'd be spread out. I think me and you, Judgey, season ticket holders, we've had surveys asking us, yeah. would you go with someone not in your bubble? Would you go the match not in your season ticket seats? So there's something going on, isn't there? So, so what do you mm. think about so far now, the numbers that have came out, first of all, 7,000 fans in, in good and spread out? Um, I'll be honest, I, I think I'd rather no one turn up. There's going to be 7,000. What kinds of atmosphere? There's not going to be any atmosphere. That's the answer. I, th- I think it's more of a... I think it's more of a progressive health and safety operation than anything else. I don't think it's an effort to try and get the fans back in stadiums and get that atmosphere back because if that was the case, you're going to have a reserve game atmosphere. It's going to be worse. Mm. Like, you hear individuals shouting at it. Yeah, it just doesn't fill me with any optimism whatsoever or excitement. That I'm, not, I'm not having that at all. Um I, mean, I think on the honest. other side, on the other side of it as well, with you know, if you have seven thousand fans going, and it's how do they then decide which fan goes to which game? Ballots, you know, ballots apparently, and then obviously, survey, yeah, the survey that we got by email was if you 
if you didn't get your th- your pick of your th- first four games, you would automatically get the pick at the top of your second games. And if you got your first four, you wouldn't get the second four. It's all it's all over the place. Yeah, it it's it just stinks a bit for me because you know. You, you're going to have some fans there who are going to get the Derby, they're going to get the Man United, the Man Cities, and then you'll have other fans. Who... Well, yeah, but from your point of view, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking from a Liverpool point of view, you know, we're, we're going to, from our fans' point of view, we're going to want to go to the, the Man Cities, the Man United, the, the Derby game. You know, it's, it's, they're, they're the games you want to go and see more, more than most. And you're going to get a lot of fans who are going to miss out on them and have to go and sit through the, you know, the, the sort of less. No, no disrespect to the other teams. They're all as big as each other because they're all only worth three points. But, you know, you, you don't want to be going to the game and only getting the, the bottom half of the table teams and missing out on, on all the, the bigger, better games. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think to a certain extent as well, you, you might even get supporters who are picked out that don't even want to go. And just go, oh, I'm not going, and then you end up with like five thousand in the stadium. I think it's, yeah, I think it's littered with potential, uh, not not as such issues because I don't think you're gonna have many issues from the people who go. But I can't see the massive value in it, apart from like I said, it being more of a health and safety operation to start to prepare the stadium and, and the officials to, to get you know full capacity back. But for me, let let's keep it as it is until we can get get it back to a position where you know everyone can attend. Um, I think that brings us to the end of, of the of the show. The one thing I would like to say is we've got some interactive stuff on our Twitter at the moment. With the, we're trying to find out what you think is the greatest Premier League Merseyside derby. Um, so we whittled it down. That the Reds picked eight games. Myself, Judgy and Craig picked eight games as well for the Blues. Uh, we've whittled it down that we've got a poll out again this week. We'd love you to vote in. We had 8,000 votes nearly last week, which we can't, we can't thank you enough for. Massive interaction. Um, Judgy, can you give me your pick of of the following four games as the greatest Premier League Merseyside derby in blue? We've got Liverpool 1, Everton 2 in 96, Andre Kanchelska scored 2. We've got the 1-0 in 04-05 with Lee Carsley. And then the other two, we've got the 2-0, 94-95, Big Joe's first game in charge. And then the 3-0, 2006, Andy Johnson. It has to be the Kanchelska one for me. It was, it was the, the first time... Um... I went to Anfield and certainly the first time, obviously, I tasted the victory and the whole thing of him, you know, scoring at the cop end and stuff. And, and we'd had a, a decent season that season anyway as well. We, we'd been, very, you know, been really good. But Kinshelska tore them apart that day. He was unplayable. And it's the only time to this day that I've seen one of our players do that to Liverpool. Even our, you know, our recent better players like Yilakakus and, and Richarlison have had decent games against Liverpool, but they haven't tore them apart the way the Kinchelskis did that day and, and he looked like a top draw player and it was just a it was a it was a great experience to win there and, and to win in the fashion that we did with a with a proper player, not with like a, a dogged, you know, performance. So that that'd be the pick of it for me. Yeah. I, I, and Gary, from from the red point of view, the the four remaining derbies in red left are the the four nil and thirteen fourteen and that's gonna go against the the 3-2, the Gary Macher game in 2001. And then the other two games are going to be the 5-2 last season. And then the 3-1 in 2006. But I think the away and celebrate Stephen Gerrard getting sent off. I was in there. Oh, was that one of our... I thought that was one of your games. <laughs> <laughs> one of the biggest celebrations, Mills, he's ever done at Anfield. <laughs> um, oh, I think it's... <laughs> 
it's got to be between the the 4-0 and the 3-2 for me. The the 3-2 because of the, the the manner in which it was done and you know the last minute it was just the, the free kick it, the way Gregory Vignal rolled about 15 yards to make it that little mm-hmm. bit closer for Gary Matters to get the goal and yeah they, but the, the 4-0 for me was just comedy gold I, I, I was laughing halfway through that game it was just it was it was that good we tore you apart that, that day like, like we have on many occasions but that, that one does stick out as a as as more of a comedy fest than anything else because it was that one sided what we're going to do this week guys we're going to get those games on the polls they're going to play each other again I mean we want to hear your opinions as to which game you think's best next week we're going to fight we're going to have a final we're going to have the Everton final and Liverpool final and then depends on how that goes we may do an Everton v Liverpool one a week later uh, we just don't want it to be lopsided we don't want 80% 20% to lose half our subscriptions of subscribers so we're going to find out the best Liverpool derby and the best Everton derby in the Premier League anyway and then we maybe put them against each other if you want us to let us know if you don't let us know as well but Great interaction. Like I said, 8,000 votes last week. We can't, can't thank you enough to get, to get involved. Go over on the, on the Twitter. It's at Across the Park PC on the Twitter. Uh, we're not doing it on Instagram or Facebook because the poll's quite easy on Twitter, so we're just doing it on there. So please, please get involved. But no thanks for sticking with us. It's been, a, been a, a decent amount of stuff to cover. Lots of rumours. The transfer window is open. The teams are back training now, so I think there might be even more next week to talk about. Hopefully, Judgy, we might even have a new midfield today. I, I sincerely hope so. One in and one out would do me for next for next week, and then build from there. Can we do one in ten out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think that'll be preferable as well. Well, guys, thanks very much for listening. We will catch you again next week.